Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week wherever you are listening. Thank you so much for listening to this season of the Griefcast. It is our 10th season. Still a bit staggered by that. Also, in other news, I've been saying it a lot recently, but um, I just want you to know I have written a book. It's coming out January 17th and you can pre-order it now. It's called You Are Not Alone. It's everything I've learned from the podcast, talking to all these amazing people for the past six years and my own experience as well. And it's so helpful if you think you're going to buy the book anyway. If you do a pre-order, it really is an amazing way to support an author. If you've done so already, thank you so much. This week, I'm talking to the incredible writer and poet Yomi Shode. Yomi is an award-winning Nigerian-British writer. He was a recipient of the 2019 Jerwood Poetry Fellowship, and he's also the author of Mannerism, an incredible, credible book of poetry that is available to buy now. Yomi came in to talk to me about Big Mummy, who is his grandma's sister and was a hugely important influence on his life. So. Yomi, who are we remembering today? Oh, man. So, <laughs> I, I, do you know what it is? I think because of the weight of the title of the of the podcast, it's, it's kind of like it had me thinking in so many ways. So today, I think I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm thinking about my big mummy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be good to, to, to talk about her as well, as well as my family. But oddly, I'm also think in the lead up to just in the lead up to mannerism entering the world Mm -hmm. um people kind of having this book in their in their hands i'm thinking about friends that i would have wanted to share that with Mm. who we're not we're not talking anymore or we've just kind of grown distant or yeah yeah you know because there's there's this there's this kind of thought i've always had however kind of like immature of me or naive or whatever that you grow old with your friends. You see mm. what I mean? It's almost like, especially because of the way I arrived in England, I hold so much pressure. Like uh, there's there's a there's a care that mm. I hold to any friends I make because I I arrived in England with just my mum. Yeah. So yeah. the idea of 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 building anything outside of my relationship with my mum yeah was really important right? it's like, important yeah so the thought of just like of losing that is mm. so weird for me so especially at this kind of milestone i'm like i would have loved to share this moment with some some people and the reality of that not necessarily happening because that's just the ways of life like see you you, you have friends 
you fall out with friends, X Y. Do you know what I mean? It's, that yeah. kind of thing is a bit of a of like a hit to the system in a way because it ideally wouldn't be something I would have wanted, but um, here we are. You know. How old were you when you came to England? Um, I was, I would say roughly between eight and nine. Right. My mum would try to tell me younger. But <laughs> I feel like it was that. I feel like it was that. And I didn't necessarily have, I didn't have much of an understanding as to the landscape I was in. Mm. There is this, there is this kind of like, call it a myth of some kind of fable of like when you arrive in, in, in no, when you arrive on like foreign land, so to speak. It's like paved with gold. It's got all yeah. of these things and blah, 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 blah. Mate, I came into snow. Yeah, I came into <laughs> no, absolute... No, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I came into absolute freezing. Freezing. Oh, my God. And the thing is, I was more like, what's about to happen? My mum was mum was probably more shocked than I was, but I was just like, oh, what is going on? Because it was my first kind of... I didn't know what snow was. I had no idea what snow was. So a lot of firsts was happening. Do you see yeah. what I mean? So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. So with those friends and with the book coming out, have they, what's that been like for you? Have you felt like the need to reach out to them at all? Or have you accepted that like, not everyone feels the, because I, it sounds similar. I find it very hard to let people go because of what happened with my dad. I find it really hard to let friends go and I will often tolerate behavior that perhaps I shouldn't because I find it really hard to let people go. And um, I wonder if that's, again related to like early loss like I guess you moving and leaving like a whole life like do you feel like it's hard to let because you're like well when will it when will it come back do you know what it is this kind of this thought process it didn't really hit me until like last year Mm. where I've realized that oh what is it with there are some people that potentially I know are not necessarily the like I had I had fallouts and all that stuff, but I still there was still this urgency to still want them around. Mm. And I had to question why that was. And the thing is I had to now go back and to be like, oh, oh, this is this is probably why. You're still going through a, a sense of longing and not wanting to let go because purely this this what grief is for you is something that you'd want to make it work. I would always want to make it work. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I would always want to make it work. Even at the detriment of myself, I would always want to make it work. Yeah. And the, the, the you know, it sounds so silly, but what I did not want to be was mean. I did yeah. not want to be a mean person. And yeah. the, the whole idea of, oh, I'm just going to close the chapter on this because it's doing me harm. Well, I'm going to close the chapter on this because it's not it's not reciprocal. I felt bad for that. Yeah. I felt like I shouldn't be doing that. Mm. But then at the same time, I had to re- I had to I had to think about my own mental health. I had to think about my own well being and what I'm putting myself through. Essentially, the idea of prioritizing yourself is one of the hardest things to do. Mm-hmm. Some people do it easy yeah yeah yeah. some people are just like some people are like i prioritize me no worries yeah no worries not no worries whatsoever whereas with with me it's very hard for me to prioritize myself Mm. i always for the most part put a lot of people first Mm. right to my own detriment sometimes so what i'm finding myself doing is trying to find ways to prioritize myself by the same time how guilty i feel when i do that sometimes (laughs) I can definitely relate to that and I I think what you're talking about is sometimes the the grief you have around relationships especially friendships that um because someone has not put you first or you know it's come to an end or you just it just is what it is but you still get that sadness that you can't like you said show them a thing and you can't go back in time and be like oh I wish I could show you this thing when we were friends and it was fine because now we're kind of not fine and all this stuff has happened and sort of like silent weird arguments that we both haven't acknowledged yeah. But they're just there. And you sort of went, I just wish I could clear the deck for a second and show you a thing I know you'd appreciate and then go back to, okay, but we're not really talking because, it, you know, it doesn't really work out between us. <laughs> 100%, 100%. And I guess it's it's a lot of it's a lot of them things. And, you know, I saw, you know, I f- it was a very visceral feeling when I um, experienced what happens when I subconsciously prioritise myself mm. to a certain degree. So when we found out about my big mummy's cancer, my grandma, and I had this conversation with my cousin and I was like, 
But you've known, you've known she's had this cancer. She told you. We've seen each other within that time and mm -hmm. you didn't feel to say anything. And I was, ang I was so angry, I was so mm. angry. Because for me, I was like, oh, I'm the eldest of the next, of the younger generation. I kind of should know what's going on within the family. I know that you lot don't probably want to talk to the old, to the old folks, but I'm kind of cool. So yeah, you can yeah. talk to me type thing, right? I'm kind of like, so when I didn't necessarily hear anything until like the very last moment, and I said, you should have told me. And he came off the phone and then he called me back and he said, he called me about an hour, hour later. And he said, I didn't tell you because you haven't been around. Mm. And that was such a gut punch. Yeah. It was such a gut punch because I felt like I have been around. Do you see what I mean? I yeah. felt like I've been present, but really and truly I've been present online on socials. I haven't done that thing of calling yeah. to see how are you. And I wondered whether had I done that, would, would, would he have told me mm. sooner? So there was a huge guilt that I felt for the two years that none of the family members knew about this situation. He was taking her to each appointment. He was mm. dealing with everything and he had to deal with the burden of all of that at, at, at quite a, a young age. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, let's just, sorry, just to go back no, and no, say, oh, so yeah. Big Mummy is what you called your grandma, which is an amazing name. Oh, so, so yeah, so Big Mummy is my grandma's, oh. so we call her my grandma's sister. Oh, okay. So, so, the, so I was like really stuck. I was like, what do you call your grandma's sister? Like, what do you like, what do, yeah. you, what do you call your grandma's sister type thing? And I was like yeah. really like oh so for the most part if we kind of put like a a term on it, it would be like a grad on but culturally we just be like oh that's just big mummy that's just what we just we just call it big mummy it's just big mummy yeah it's just what it is it's just that's just big mummy do you know what i mean so um, she was your grandma's sister officially yeah, yeah. and so was she living here in england yeah yeah she right. was here she was here she was here she was she was working in the health service she was very much into her her faith. Mm. Um, she was a very kind, generous lady. Yeah, man, quite regal in her in her position. And you know, I mean, you wouldn't, you couldn't necessarily get the most out of her. <laughs> but whenever she laughed, you knew that I was definitely felt. Do you see what I mean? It was yeah. definitely something. It was definitely something that she genuinely wanted to do. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. But she's very reserved quite quiet she wouldn't be the loudest person in the room do you see what i mean but yeah, she's consistent yeah. she's very observant you know <laughs> that was her and she when did she pass away so she passed on on december 4th 2019 my birthday oh my goodness on your actual yeah, birthday yeah 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 on my actual birthday on my wow. actual actual birthday um um and um it was it was tough it was absolutely tough because you know, interestingly, I, in a weird way, the night before, I called it. I was talking to my mum, was on her way back from the hospice. And I said, no, I have this feeling. And my mum just being like reassured. My mum's just like, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be. So on the morning of when I received the call, I, I think, and I wondered whether she knew deep down that it mm. might just happen on that day but she never said anything just to protect me. You know, mums and yeah. parents would want to protect you and everything. So the morning when she actually did call me to tell me, she would just sounded so sad. She just sounded so, 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 so sad. You see what I mean? And But at the same time, she wasn't there to necessarily protect me. And I felt sad because I wasn't there to protect my cousin who was yeah. with her. Oh, I see. So the cousin who'd been taking her to the appointments and... Kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. Her son, her son. Right. Yeah, 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 her yeah, son. Yeah. So he was he was there with her. And I had said the night before, tomorrow I'm gonna see you first thing. And then when the news came that she passed, I um immediately I I I, I, I slept through the night, right? So I, I woke up to the phone call from my mum and then I checked my phone and he texted me not long after she died. Mm but I was well and truly sleeping. Yeah, yeah. So then when I saw the message, I was just like, damn, I wasn't there for you again. Mm. So it was almost like, you know, it took me back to when he said you haven't been around. And then I was just like, I've done everything from that point to be around. Mm. 
and I was working off of a lot of guilt in just being around because I felt like I wasn't present enough. And then when she passed, to read that message, and it wasn't a message to be like, oh, why are you not here type thing? It was just yeah, this message yeah. to just be like, she's gone, blah, blah, blah. But I, I took that as I wasn't there for you. Yeah. So I mean, I wasn't there for you to support you in this point in time. Of course, he was like, you've been supporting me. You've, you've been supporting me from the moment that you found out and everything. But I always felt like I needed to be doing more at that mm. point in time as well. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, it's really hard. And I think, especially when you're, you know, there's like the epicenter, isn't there, of like the person who is ill and their immediate family and then the other family surrounding them as, as a circle. It, I think you always feel like you could, could have done more, could have, you know, especially when someone is very sick. And that's such a normal human thing to just, you know, be sleeping and not wake up to a text. Like, 100%. that's so normal. Like, and it, it, I think we just, yeah, you know, I wonder also as well, like when he said you weren't around, like he must have been going through so much as well of having carried it for ages and, and looking after his mom. Like you do then say things to people because you're just, you are sad and angry that this is happening. You know, that is a grief in a, in a way as well when I hear people yeah. say things like that, of like, do they really mean that? Or do they just mean, I don't want someone to die? Like, yeah. that's where that pain comes from. Um, and there's nothing, unfortunately, like you can't protect them from the person dying, but it comes with with so much guilt, so much guilt. So this was 2019, did you say? Yeah, this was 2019. And you know, what was also interesting or what came out of the process of that in regards to grief, or the process of grieving, I, 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 I I felt like there was a politics of it as well, mm. interestingly. So my mum worked nights. So she would often, she would, she worked like from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. And through the process when she was, when Big Mum was still alive, she was very ill and mm. she was very weak. So my mum would often finish work at like 8 a.m. and go over to care for her, to treat her, yeah. cook food or whatever it is. But she just worked <clears throat> 12 hours. Oh my God, yeah. So by the time she'll leave work at like eight, she'll probably get to hers, to Big Mummy's around, I don't know, 10 something. Oh, wow. And then treat, look after her, whatever it is, and she'll f maybe give that about two hours. Really and truly, she's not leaving there until about, say, after 12, mm. one. And one particular time, she was really tired. And um, on her way there, she slipped, she slipped, she slipped on a leaf and she, she fell on the floor. Oh. And strangers, people came to help her get up and everything else like that, blah, 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 blah. She was tired, right? And I could see her almost getting more and more tired and deteriorating herself because she just wasn't resting. Yeah, yeah. And there was one particular situation where she had to leave the house uh, at a, like early in the morning, say after like 2 a.m. or something because again, Big Mummy needed to be treated. And by this time I was getting really angry. I was getting really frustrated because I could just see my mum getting weaker and weaker and more tired and more tired because she still had to work. And what was interesting was there's no way I could have spoken about my mum's health yeah. with my cousin, yeah. knowing that my cousin's dealing with a, a mother mm. that's dying. <laughs> so yeah. it's almost like, you know, how dare I? discuss the mm. state of my mum when your mum's going through this yeah and it was tough it was mm. it was it was and then it just made me think about this 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 how we enter these kind of conversations and the last one i wanted to do was to come across as like i wasn't sensitive to the situation mm. by the same time that's my mother yeah <laughs> do you see what i mean like yeah. it's it's well, you're, still kit, you're still watching somebody give, I guess, and put them... I guess it comes back to what you're talking about, about prioritising yourself. And you're watching and someone is... not prioritise themselves. Exactly. And it's hard because... And that happens a lot, I think, when people are very sick and everyone is caring for them. And, you know, you often hear that, don't you, at the hospital, of, like nurses being like, go home, and someone being like, no, I can't, I can't. And then being yeah. like, you're no good to them like this. Like, exactly. You have to rest to be able to keep caring for someone. But obviously for your mum, that must have been so hard because she must have been exhausted. Exactly. Yeah. But also feeling 
as guilty as you had been as feeling guilt. of like, no, exactly. she needs me. Everything. She needs me. And this and goes back to that whole thing of prioritizing self. I was just yeah. like, if I really, really, really prioritize myself, I would be saying to you straight away, mm. no, my mom's not going to come over there. Yeah. Because that's my break. mom. She needs a break. She needs a break. Do you see what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's not as easy to be like that or to do that. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And I guess those things, a lot of it plays in my mind more time just what i mean and i think about him a lot even i was thinking about him yesterday since we buried big mommy in january 2020 thankfully for the most part before yeah everything of the pandemic kicked off because it was a really beautiful service three months later he lost a family member on his side mm. and then a year or so later lost another family member on his side in fact, it was the, the daughter of the person that had right, died yeah, yeah, yeah. previously. So in a space of two years, yeah, in a space of two and a bit years, he's lost three people. Mm. And by, by, by extension, I know those three people. Yeah. But it's not as deep as he knows them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering, you know, I'll have a conversation with him tomorrow and he'll be like, oh, this tough days, good days, mm. I'm okay. But I'm just like you've just experienced three losses mm. of that magnitude within within a space of like two years. Let's talk. Yeah. And do you, you know? feel like it does your family have that openness to talk about grief and stuff like that? No way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, what is the no, no, no way. The third section of mannerism goes into detail, that's it and it's exploring the whole point in time when we found out about Big Mummy's mm. cancer. Last year, that third section was adapted to a play at the mm. Almeida Theatre called and it was titled And Breathe. And it wasn't until that point when my mum was invited, my auntie, my uncle was invited, my cousin was invited, and they watched this play that it opened an opportunity for us to speak. Wow. <laughs> about it. Yeah. And that was like a whole year after the after the funeral. We'd never spoken about it. We never sat down to actually have a conversation about it. Um and and and, and for me that's a that's a on my side it's a cultural thing. It's just mm -hmm. like some things there's just some things that you don't discuss. Yeah. Or that are not discussed and I think um for for some reasons as well, you know, we don't talk about illnesses or sickness because you want to protect other people. You don't want them to worry about them. You don't want this person, this person to worry too much. So you kind of keep this to yourself. Whereas there are, and I know I noticed it a lot within African families more so. Mm. I can't speak too much about other communities, but I definitely know that within the African community, then illnesses or anything of the sort is stuff that's not necessarily as spoken about mm. and it's still something i want to unearth it a bit more as a community as to why we don't freely when you talk about illnesses because they could be they could be dealt with at a very early yeah. stage and a problem shared also is something that kind of alleviates a lot of stress do you know yeah. what i mean so yeah we didn't talk about it until the play came out so how and yummy how was that like you've written a play about this intense experience and they watch it and they come out like were you oh god you must have did you feel nervous as they went into watch i it, was nervous like... oh my god i was yeah. so nervous because it's almost like you're putting your dirty laundry out there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like you have to kind of see it as like my mom's like what do you mean you're writing what do you mean you've got <laughs> talking about our family yeah am i in it what do you mean someone's playing me? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. What do you mean someone's playing me and the bed do a good job? I was just like, it's so funny. So, but it was the best thing that could have happened. And mm. I think, you know, sometimes my family and my friends, for the most part, they worry because I'm a writer and because I'm quite, I get quite personal. They'll be wondering if they end up in a poem or something mm. or a play at some point soon. And I mean, even if you do end up in a poem or something, I'm not going to like say your name, say your name. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just, like, I might I might describe parts of you, you know, that it's you, but um I think part of it is part is part of my purpose as well to look at this in a way to be like, if we're not gonna talk about this on a face to face, then how else can I explore it as a writer to ensure yeah. that we do get to 
discussing to a certain degree and I'm glad that we have yeah um, especially with my cousin I think before before we started rehearsal oh man so I wrote this it's a sequence of poems and when she died I didn't know how to speak to anybody mm. I just wasn't talking and then about two weeks later I went to my writing space and I wrote the entire section. Wow. I wrote the entire section. It's almost like it was burning in me to just, it was almost mm. boiling, boiling, bubbling in me to write. So I got in there about after nine and then I wrote the entire section in about 12 hours. Wow. And for a year, I did not share this with my cousin. Mm. I didn't know how to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you see what I mean? I was just like, I've just written this entire thing that's addressing you primarily. But it's addressing you, but it's looking at the whole circle. It's looking at the whole situation, but I'm addressing you. you. Yeah. And I just don't know how to share it. And then it was my agent was like, oh, this reads like it could be a play. Oh, we can make a play out of it. I was like, whoa, 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 I'm going to have to talk to someone. You're doing a bit too much right now. What do you mean a play? And she was like, no, it can really be something. And I think those things was like a sign for me to be like, oh, you need to speak with him now. You need yeah. to speak with him. Not because this is going to be a play, but the reality is this is going to be in the book somehow. Mm. And I've been talking to him about it every now and then. And then he messaged me one day and he was just like, so when am I going to read this? <laughs> and I was like, wow, everything seems to be yeah. falling in place. And I said, okay, let's read it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you next week, Saturday. And we're going to sit down and we're going to read it. What and, was that um, like, Yummy? What was that like? Oh, it's freaky, man. Yeah. It, was so, it was so weird. I recorded, I recorded the whole conversation. I recorded the whole, I think I was there for about two hours, two, mm. three hours. And I read each poem to him. We got into a discussion. We took a break, got some drinks, came back. I carried on reading the poems and we spoke about every situation. Wow. And I wish we'd done it earlier. Yeah. God. I had wished we'd done it earlier. That's incredible to me because I guess what you're what I find really interesting as as a writer is that there was this need to express something which, as you said, like within that whether it's culturally or your family, you felt you couldn't. And so it, it got put into this other place you know in a way that sometimes if you're not a writer people might just carry that you know they just carry it with them of like all the things I wish I'd said but because you're a writer it went literally got put into a document yeah, <laughs> that you I, could um, then give to him and say this is the conversation I've been trying to have but I don't know do how know, to do you know the thing is as well I think there is quite and I say this I say this very lightly but there's some <clears> hints of something in it that you know writing is still quite <laughs> It's got this kind of narcissistic trait to it, right? Mm, it's almost yeah. like it's got this kind of like me, me, me type yeah. situation to it. Cool. I'm going to put that in the pocket. I'm going to pocket that for a bit. I, and I, I also felt like where I had to question where I was writing from. Mm. When I look into this, I, I go back to the whole situation of the phone call when it said, I don't think you've really been around. You had not, not I think. You just said, you haven't been around to talk to mm. and I felt guilty immediately mm. and I was like oh am I writing all of this out of guilt yeah. out of not being around and then when I look back at the sequence and I read it the first maybe four or five poems of like the sequence is born out of guilt mm. it's written out of I'm so sorry I haven't been around and then it travels into this next part of oh I've not respected you as like you being a man now. Yeah. I've always known you as like the boy. Like I've always known you as the kid that kind of arrived in England, didn't know what was going on. And I've kind of been there to kind of sh show you around or buy you some clothes and blah, 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 blah. But what I haven't done was realize that you are your own adult. You're your mm. own individual now. Hence why you can call me back and say, yeah. you haven't been around. Yeah. Because I, I, in my head, I'm older than you. So in a way, you should respect me. Yeah, in yeah. a way, in a way, you can't back chat like that to me or anything <laughs> else like that. Like, yeah. how dare you? 
Do you know what I mean? So we then go into this next phase of me realizing that you are your own individual. You have your own friends. You you have your own independence. You da 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 da. And I have to come to that realization that I I have to respect you in a different way now. Mm. So it was a real journey for me to go through. Hence why it was important for me to sit with him and just have a conversation with him and just say and apologize. Do you see what I mean? Like, mm. but for me to do that, I think writing is my go-to because conversations wasn't happening. Therapy wasn't yeah. something I was engaging in at the time. So my only outlet was to write. And which is why I'm always like, for me, this is more than just the writing is a, a hobby. Yeah. For me, it's, it's I enjoy doing it, but sometimes it's an actual process that helps my own thinking and my way forward. Like I see it so, so, so different. I experience it so, so differently. It became my own kind of cathartic process to make sense of everything that was going on, mm. you know? And that's just for one section. That's not even speaking for the majority of the book, which also explores forms of different types of grief in itself, you know. Is there a bit from that section that you would like to read? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll read, I'll read a poem. This is titled, The Text Reads. Yomi, I'm eating more than usual. I noticed it the night I ate an entire pizza by myself. Each slice asking me why, or uttering must you. Their voices slowly grew muffled as I curled them upwards from the tip like Swiss rolls, marvelling at the calories in my hands. I had hardly spoken since Big Mummy's death. I needed all the distractions I could get. So, there I was, putting my mouth to use. Surely, I thought, I can prove more bravery in finishing an entire pizza than I will in lifting a coffin. Five slices in, I was finding loose bits of onion on the plate, scooping them up with my hand. Three hours earlier, you'd called, asking if I could read a poem at Big Mummy's funeral. It will be an honour, I told you, and immediately I felt hungry, wanting food I wasn't good to eat. Is this how healing works? Now, how can I help? Two hours after eating the pizza, I ordered a chicken pesto panini, adding more to make it more flavoursome. Roasted peppers, caramelised onions, melted cheese and sweet potato. I peered down on my stomach later that night in awe of my new roundness that eclipsed my penis. I turned, I turned again, rubbing my skin clockwise with little to be proud of. Every day since we arrived home from Amsterdam, I had been haunted with the thoughts of doing more. I had been digesting my guilt. I didn't like to fail those close to me. Yomi, I'm telling you, that's a start, I suppose. I was buying my suit for the funeral soon. Three weeks before, I had tasked myself of getting in shape in time for the ceremony. I had also ignored myself completely. I was conscious of my belt fastening tighter than hugs from mourners. I was conscious of my suit jacket wouldn't be big enough to conceal my stomach. I was conscious of the well I was thinking myself deeper into. Am I being supportive enough is what I want to ask. The weekend before the funeral, I met you and your boys at KFC. They explained the process of lifting a coffin and you laughed at the snack box I ordered to eat. Though I knew it was small, I did not tell you about the inyar and the four I ate two hours earlier at my mum's. I was not hungry, but it was the weekend before the funeral. And whatever way you needed me, I would be there. Like when you first arrived, the black boy too shy to eat chicken in front of me and my girl. So I ate with you and your boys that night. I ripped each wing, sucked meat off reedy bones. I carried on, feeling it sits like shrubbery in my stomach and quicksand until I could sense your banter with your mandem landing more comfortably in your body and could see in your eyes that you were okay. You were going to be okay. Mm-hmm. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. Oh, yummy. That was amazing. Oh, my God. That's so good. It's that thing of, like, I didn't know comfort eating would be... <laughs> you made me hungry. That's the other thing. I was uh, like, God, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know. I just And this that's just the thing. It's, it's almost like when you... When you're not speaking to anybody. When you're, mm. when you're not speaking to no one about what you're going through it manifests itself in different ways. Mm. And I just, you know, it's interesting. I've never spoken about this. Maybe, and, and I guess this is, this is what the, this time is here for, is how easy I felt. You know, I was just eating. Mm. And the idea that I was just eating and I knew that what I was doing wasn't the best for me. But I needed to do it. Mm. because I just needed to almost escape. But I felt uncomfortable. I felt, I felt like I was purpose. It almost, do you know what it felt like? Wow, gosh. It, it felt like I was almost punishing myself for not doing enough. Mm. And this is what I was doing to myself as a result of just not being around. This is what I was doing to myself as a result of agreeing to something but also being nervous at that. This is something I was doing to myself to almost feel like I'm trying to forget it, but I'm not going to forget it because it's still there. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm looking for a reason to put myself deeper into a hole. And that was hard. That was like, when I realised what was going on, immediately what came after that was, oh, I just need to hide from everybody. Because now I've put myself in a situation where physically I don't feel like I need to be in public. Yeah. So I need to almost now, I need to, I need to dip back. And I just need to um, avoid any gazes or any judgments. And then we went into a pandemic. <laughs> and the world went, okay, yeah, avoid, avoid it. Like you avoid have... it. And then yeah. we went into a pandemic. And I don't, we went into a pandemic and I'm just away from everything mm. in that world. And I was like, wow, 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 what's about to happen here? So it was really, that whole phase was just like, it's it's uh, it's something I don't talk much about, but it was a, it was a, it was a dark-ish phase mm. for me. It's interesting you know? though, isn't it? I think that you, when your cousin said that to you about not being there, it made you feel uncomfortable because it's an uncomfortable feeling, guilt. And so then, you physically made yourself uncomfortable. You know, like you you didn't that you tried to push the feeling away, but your body was like your body went, No, now we're gonna keep eating until we physically feel uncomfortable, which is how the emo we emotionally feel. And I think that's really interesting. We don't talk about it enough. Um I've got a, a book out in January and I talk a lot about like I kind of stopped eating after my dad died. Mm. I went that way because it was like this feeling of just 
and it wasn't again it was a, a phase it wasn't something that became took over my life it just was a, like you said a really dark place where it was like to me eating was like too much it was like I just had so many feelings that I was like if I just don't eat anything <laughs> then then that's like one less thing I have to deal with yeah. and I think it's it's really such a you know as we all know like our eating habits and our emotions are so tied in together but I loved what you were saying of like in that poem of wanting him to feel comfortable so eating with his friends until you see him relaxing and it's, uh, I, it's so wrapped up in love and guilt and all of you know everything it's everything it's that, yeah. I, I remember that even so well mm. I felt so uncomfortable <laughs> because I was stuffed yeah <laughs> literally essentially i lied to him he yeah, was just yeah. like oh you're hungry i'm just like yep yep yeah 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 i'm like i could do because right because i just had a meal with my mum's i yeah, just yeah. like i just literally just had a meal with my mum's you just had mum cooking not just I even just like mum cooking not just exactly. oh i had a sandwich mum cooking <laughs> and then i went to go see him and his boys and they're all there they're all with a banter and everything and he's like, oh, you eating? And I just ordered this snack box. If you can see the size of the snack box, he looked at me. He's just like, bro, like, what are you doing? Like, what, what's wrong with you? Do you know what I mean? I'm like, ah, you know, just try, sir. You know, just, just, little bit. just eat this. Just a little bit. It's yeah. all good. Not knowing that I was, I was absolutely dreading just opening that box, however yeah. small, because I was stuffed. Yeah. But comparing that to the box and the in your mind, the box of the coffin and stuff, like I just think it's such an incredible poem, Yomi. And so once you read it to him, so it was a, it was after the funeral and stuff that you read it to him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah it was after the funeral, it was after the funeral. Yeah, yeah. And I just wonder, like, have you, and obviously, you know, we've had pandemic to deal with as well. Like, has it changed your relationship with him in terms of that grief and your family's relationship, do you feel like because of that writing, everyone feels a bit easier talking about it now? Or is everyone still like, oh, we don't really want to talk about it, but Yomi's written some more stuff about it. Do you know what it is? As a, as a it's difficult. Mm. As a family, it's difficult. Just for context, my grandma lost the same year. Mm. January, my grandma lost her brother. Oh. December, my grandma lost his sister. Yeah. So what this meant for my mum and her siblings was we saw how bad she reacted on one side yeah. in relation to her brother. If we now tell her about her sister. Oh, God. Yeah. It goes back to the same thing about my mum and protection, her, her health yeah. and the protection. So where, where I'm like, oh, I was going to tell grandma about big mummy. And my mum's like, Poof. Boy, maybe, maybe not now. And I'm just like, but that's her sister. Yeah, yeah. And immediately, but she never said it. But immediately, the, the look she gave me was, but that's my mum. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, politics of grief. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How it's, do we, it's, yeah. it's the politics of grief, mm. right? So as a, as as a family, it's almost like we 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 it's it's her death is still something that's not widely spoken of. Yeah. Because there was still certain, there's still protection in place mm. to not lose anyone else. Type does, thing. does your grandma know now? To my knowledge, she is aware now. Right. Is she in she, this country or is she? No, not? no, no. no right. She's not, I see. She's not. So it's a but kind of. But you know what yeah. is? She's she's always sensed that there was something up. Going you see on. What yeah, I mean? yeah. And you know, to my knowledge, she knows now. But it wouldn't have been in a way that I would have wanted her to know. I would have wanted her to find out in a much calmer way. Do yeah, you see what I mean? Yeah. But even at the time, at that time when she wasn't aware, it still felt like it was an isolated grief. Mm. It still felt like you know, what would have been helpful or supportive is if there was a collective grief as a family where yeah. we all knew about it and we yeah. can call each other and we can talk. But this was a very, this was very much an isolated grief. Mm. That meant one side of the family knew and the other side of the family didn't necessarily know. So where secrecy plays as a part of protection, mm. it's tough, it's tough. So there's, there wasn't really any room. And I don't even think there is still room to, 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 as a family, deal with that and talk about it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, which is sad, which is sad. But at the same time, 
when I play back the reasons why, I'm like, okay. It's not like I get it, mm. but... Yeah, I, I think you I, can I, understand something, yeah. can't you, and still not like approve of it, <laughs> but a, you can not con- not condemn it because you're like, I understand, and and I understand it. It happens, you know, in in British culture as well of like the protection of people, and you know, I I've definitely heard stories of people not being told that they're properly ill, and or not telling certain family members, and you can always understand it. But I agree with you. <laughs> I guess that's it, isn't it? It's like, look, we're not saying right or wrong, but the consequence of that is an isolated grief, not a collective yeah. grief. So it's like, it's up to you what you do, but it is an isolated grief. And, and perhaps in collective grief, you know, you said you can help each other. And that's yeah. and that's so important with grief to have that support as you're, you know, we come back to what your cousin said, like someone being around, like, you know, they're just going to be there. They're not going to, you're not going to have to call them and remind them. They're just going to turn up. Like that feeling yeah. of support is how we get through these difficult times, these traumatic times. Is like, I just know they like, I'll, the doorbell will ring. They'll just be there. I don't, I don't yeah. need to send that message out. Please come and help me. And that collective grief can be, yeah, it's obviously still sad, but to have that support can be hugely, hugely important. Yeah, and and you know, like I think there it was it, you know, the last two years for me has been a bit of a wake up when I consider loss, mm. because loss for me for a certain up until for a certain a long time I've just looked at loss as just death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've looked at loss as just death. I've never considered loss in relation to relationships mm-hmm. in relation to friendships and I've never considered mourning what could have been like there are there are elements of big mommy's death that I'm just like I could have I could have done with an auntie to speak to Mm. and and there's a loss in that based on protection yeah just what I mean there's a loss in in me being close and the thing is the interesting thing with death is like it does build relationships more it builds it builds closeness in such a way so if even if I was to consider Big Mummy's death as a genesis for families, all of us to connect a lot closer, mm-hmm. or friendships to kind of, you know, going back to the uh, earlier point yeah. that I first raised in terms of, oh, Yomi just experienced this. I know that we haven't spoken in a while. Let me just connect and just see how things are. Those those moments it kind of builds great points, a genesis almost to start over yeah to kind of consider what life is going forward and when i think about loss i kind of feel like those things spring to mind i wouldn't be used in terms of isolated grief mm, yeah i wouldn't necessarily have known what that would have been if i unless i, I felt it unless mm. it was something i experienced so for me i kind of um look at loss now and there are these all these different strands you know there's different strands of tears the kind of the kind of cry you cry do you see what i mean it's almost like there are these different strands of loss that has since grown to be a a great thing for me um myself yeah they call them that in grief they call it um secondary losses so it is that thing of like you're grieving oh the person's not here but then you can grieve something like oh that means we have to sell the house or that means that I fell out with my sister about this thing or that means that I can't have the job that I want anymore because now I have to go and care like it's these other like you said the next the next strata down of grief grief and I think sometimes it's yeah we dismiss it slightly of like it's all about the person that's what the thing is and and then you feel guilty for like even oh, well, why? Well, that doesn't matter, does it? Like, it's just a little thing that's happened. It's like, no, it's all connected to the main yeah. grief. It all comes down from this epicenter of, like, the death. And there's, I thought it was really interesting what you're saying, of, like, it can be a starting again, a genesis, because actually that's the thing about life and death, isn't it? Like, when someone does die, it's awful. But if life comes out of that, of a new relationship or new connections, like that's what reminds us we're all here and we're all the same. And, you know, that's the beauty yeah. of it. But to not to not get that sometimes can be painful as well. Yeah. You know, off the back of writing this section, I've paid close attention to grief mm. and how to and ways of exploring it. And I've since partnered with um, a practitioner, Chloe Osborne, and we now run 
what we call grief labs. Oh wow! Um, but so I realized when I was right when I, in the process of writing this section, I was laughing a lot sometimes yeah, yeah. because some of the stories and going over some things or some memories of Big Mummy and stuff was just funny. It was it was hilarious, but then I felt immediately bad, <laughs> like. Yeah. She's died. Like, why am I laughing? Yeah. She's died. I shouldn't feel this feeling. I should mm. be crying. I should be feeling sad. I should be all of these different things. But not laughing about it. Not crack, not, not cracking jokes and stuff and blah, 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 blah. And then I realised, oh, again, politics of grief. Mm. This is really interesting. Like, who's to say that you can't laugh? Who's to say that you can't kind of go through moments of joy and what have mm. you? So I had a conversation with Chloe and, and Chloe is an amazing practitioner. And we devised a masterclass where we had all these different things, Play-Doh, and we had all these different kind of like really nifty balloons, uh, messages in like balloons. And you had to partner with someone to pop it. With, and there was the, there's the excitement and just, there's the nervousness in trying to pop a balloon. Then yeah, the excitement yeah. when it does go and then you kind of read it and then you have to write. And we just wanted to provide a an, an environment where people laugh, talk about memories of loved ones but we don't walk out of it like sobbing yeah like yeah. like we just want to create an environment where you're able to explore relationships past relationships with people and have a more playful experience so it's called kind of kind of term with time that playing into grief because mm. it's almost like is there an ability is, is there how do we how do we utilize forms of play in order to explore grief and it's something that is that we're very keen on doing something that we're very keen on kind of like running workshops on mm. and it's been it's been a, it's been a pleasure it's been an absolute joy in terms of running some of the workshops and seeing people walk out head high do you know what i mean yeah. being able to talk about situations but they're laughing about it um, there were tears, but it wasn't like absolute like downpours of tears. It was it was we're talking joyful tears. You mm. know what I mean in terms of memory and how that is looked into. So in a way, I never I never thought that grief would be so high in my agenda or something to kind of explore or talk on. But having gone through that process personally, it's something that I'm very keen to to explore you know, and to speak. So it's been a, it's, it's a, one, one of those things like, you know, when, when there was an invitation to, to speak with you, I was like, yeah, a hundred percent. Let's, let's, let's go for it. Cause it's like, this is for me, the first time that I'm having to actually speak about this in some greater detail. Mm, Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I completely relate to it. Cause that's what I wanted for this podcast. Having experienced grief so deeply myself, I was like thinking of, a listener and I was like well I'd want to listen to something that for an hour I did maybe I got to cry or, but maybe I felt heard but at the end of it when it stopped I didn't feel worse than when I started yeah, so yeah, like yeah, I wanted yeah. to yeah. feel like I might laugh I might think oh yeah that happened and there's this thing of like you said the guilt you know we don't let laughter into grief I think we're getting better at it and I certainly am such a huge champion of it because nothing in life is all one thing like nothing is yeah. all sad and you can be you know we accept quite a lot that we can be laughing with our friends and then suddenly feel very sad like we all no one yeah. questions that but we question crying 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 about someone dying and then laughing like oh no that's not okay to mix it there is not okay yeah. but actually we're all like we're always mixing emotions and feelings and it's nothing is steady you know nothing is this is how you feel this is how it will be for two days and then you'll feel this like it that's just not how grief works and so much of grief is memories and if you loved the person and they were a joyful person of course the memories are going to bring back joy, joy you, you can't yeah. just i'll only weep because they're gone because you're thinking oh and they said that and that was so funny and they were so kind like you know all this stuff comes and trying to make space for that holding all of that i think is how grief gets not easier but maybe simpler if you can if you can do that, you can allow yeah. a whole person to be held in your memory, not just, oh, I'm weeping for them, it's awful. Yeah, and you try to run from it. So in, in Inside Out is one of my favourite films. Oh, yeah. I love yeah, Inside yeah. Out. It's such a dope film. <laughs> it's so good. And it's almost like you just see this kind of blue self walking yeah. around, like waving at you, just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't get too close. Yeah, don't yeah, get yeah. too close. Don't yeah. even. But you actually, you, it, you need to be one you just need to be one with that side, that mood, that emotion, yeah. 
just having that emotion next to you doesn't mean that it's going to be you all day every day and you know especially speaking from a from a parent perspective I'm a father and you know my eldest he's eight and if he hears any classical notes, like whether it's a string or anything else like that, or violin or mm. something of that pia bit a solo like a classical piano, he breaks into tears. Oh, straight, straight, straight. <laughs> it's been him from like young. He breaks into like and before, I was like, dude, why are you crying? Why are you always crying? Like what's the what's what's the situation? He's so moved. So imagine, imagine my shock horror when he came to see me at the Royal Festival Hall with a whole <clears> eighty piece orchestral with the orchestra and immediately i was like oh you're gonna see dad on stage with like this kind of like really cool orchestra yeah and in my head afterwards i was like oh my god strings oh my god <laughs> oh, it's done it's all done but he do you know what of course he of course he cried of course he yeah. broke down but he was um he was happy do you know what yeah. i mean like this is just and you know there's something in that in relation to masculinity as well where crying was just something I was told to not do. Mm. Especially as a black man as well. Like it was just something that I was just told you just have to firm. When I was told that, you know, it's, it's Big Mummy's last days, I was crying on a bus and nobody helped me. Yeah. I've seen more people show sympathy for, for pets and dogs. Nobody on the bus knew what to do. Oh. And I immediately felt that whole thing of, of course you don't know what to do because you're not being programmed to just show care like yeah, that yeah because there's already a stereotype as to how this should run and how i should be or, not, or how i should be yeah and lo and behold as soon as like you know that window of opportunity that i that i'll say i gave because i think i was calling out for someone just to ask if i was okay and when that didn't happen i just wiped it i just got back to normal you know so to see my boy at eight crying the way he cries i was uncomfortable to begin mm. with because of the conditioning that I've gone through yeah, over the it's years. it's triggering to... It's, so it was triggering for me to mm. be like, why are you crying when she just, just suck it up? Why are you crying for? And then I realised that, oh, I'm, I'm just looping this. This is just this vicious cycle that I will just be doing exactly what I was told yeah. to not do at that age. And at some point, it has to break to a certain degree. Don't get me wrong. The boy cries for, like, the, the, the wildest things. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's not get it twisted. He yeah, cries yeah. for the wildest things. Yeah. But to some degree, I have to know how to balance it on my side or how to unlearn. Yeah. I'm, un I'm unlearning a lot as a father. And it's making me realise just how much I'm unlearning on a day-by-day -day basis. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah, it just makes me think about that in terms of crying and how trying can also be something uncomfortable for other people to deal with yeah what a beautiful place to end on yummy because yeah. he sounds amazing what a lovely little person <laughs> to be that sensitive to music my, my daughter's a bit like that she cries like and again i definitely also grew up with a bit of a like oh get over it come on and i have to yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of it's all right to cry it's all right to cry it's all right to cry and and especially what you're saying you know to be on a bus as a black man and not people just not <laughs> Offering empathy is so sad, and to try and work forward for the future that you're, if that you know, if your son is ever in that situation, that doesn't happen. That somebody says, mm. "Oh, are you okay? Do you want a, do you want a tissue? Mm. Like, are you okay?" Mm. Because I know how many times I've cried on public transport, and people have I've had more tissues, even when I've had hay fever, and I'm like, "No, no, it's just like I'm all right." <laughs> like, yeah, people yeah, are like, yeah, yeah. you know, I guess as a white woman, they're like, "Here you go, here you go," but yeah. for you not to get extended that empathy is, yeah not right and so to hold space for your son to allow him to cry especially you know when we talk about grief and the future and all the things that children are going to have to go through i think that's amazing that you're giving him that <laughs> yummy thank you. thank you so much for talking to me about big mummy i love big what i just <laughs> just, <laughs> just love it i love it and um i really appreciate you sharing her story and your cousin's story and your story with us thank you no, thank you for the the platform and the opportunity to 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 speak some of this out because it's very it's very 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 rare that I get to to talk on it. So thank you for that time. Yomi's book Mannerism is available to buy now. I cannot recommend it enough. It's a beautiful, beautiful 
piece of writing and you can hear how incredible his poems are from the interview we just had. You can find out more information about Yomi and everything he's doing if you head to his website, yomishode.com. That's Y-O-M-I-S-O-D-E.com. You can follow him on Twitter at yomishode as well, Y-O-M-I-S-O-D-E. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland. The music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. It was recorded remotely um, from mine and Yomi's living rooms. The animation is animated by Alice Loveday and the artwork is provided by Jade Perkin. I'm sorry. I say it every week and yet, and yet, and yet. Thank you so much for listening. I remember, you are not alone. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 